Well, join me if you would in the book of Titus, chapter 3. We're going to finish up this little book today. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it practical and helpful on your own spiritual journey. Titus chapter 3, we'll look at verses 12 to 15 together this morning. Uh, These words, I think, will be familiar to you that I'm about to read. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Christ's last command. Those final words of Jesus Christ are actually the reason that you're breathing today. You could ask, why am I here? Why is each and every one of the people here in this room today here and living life on earth? You are here to magnify Jesus Christ. That's why you exist, to to magnify and exalt and glorify Jesus Christ and and the triune God. And the way that you do that is one of the ways, and the primary way that you do that is by telling other people about Jesus Christ and helping other people become like Jesus Christ. That's this last command of Jesus. That is the mission. But let's be honest. I mean, I think if we're just brutally honest, for many Christians, the mission is kind of a a, a bit of an afterthought. I mean, maybe we think of it together on Sundays or here and there a little bit through after, in in, in the ins and outs of our week. But this just happens all too easy. Life gets busy and the things of life preoccupy our hands and our hearts and our time. And before you know it, you've actually completely lost sight of the mission. I mean, how much time this last week did you think about the mission? Why am I here? What does God want me to be doing? The next thing you know, we're not really living it out. Titus 3, 12 to 15 provides a glimpse of what it looks like when the mission is primary. In your life and in my life. And that's what God wants. He wants you to give yourself completely and wholly to the mission. So let me read these verses and I'd ask you to follow along. Titus chapter 3, 12 to 15. Paul writes to Titus who's ministering on the island of Crete, and he says this at the end of this little book, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The mission demands something from you. In fact, it demands several things from you. And today we want to consider some of the demands that the mission makes from this text. And we'll we'll look at five of them. First, the mission demands movement. Uh, Look back at at verses 12 and 13 and see if you can't figure out what type of movement uh, I'm referring to. Paul writes, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And then do your best to spend Zen- speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and make sure they lack nothing. I must confess, when I read the text that, that I've just read in these verses, at first glance, they seem somewhat irrelevant. And if you're reading through your Bible and you're reading through the book of Titus and you've read through the book and it's been really great and you come to the end and it's kind of like, well, Paul's just kind of wrapping it up with Titus and these details aren't frankly all that relevant or practical. It's just, he's just putting a nice little bow on his book and wrapping it up. 
Paul, it sounds like Paul's just directing traffic in the ancient world. But actually, God is directing the traffic of the mission. What we see here is that God uses different people for different times, seasons, and purposes within the church. And the mission demands movement. The movement of ministry personnel. I want to briefly explain what's going on in verses 12 to 13. And then I just want to look at several implications of it that I think are extremely practical for all of us today. Paul was going to send, we find in verse 12, that Paul was going to send one of two men, either Artemis or Tychicus, to replace Titus on the island of Crete. And at the time of writing, Paul's actually saying, I'm not sure which one of these guys I'm going to send yet, but I am going to send one of these guys to you there in Crete. And then Paul told Titus that once his replacement arrived there on the island of Crete, that Titus should then leave Crete and make his his way to Nicopolis before winter. Paul wasn't there yet in Nicopolis himself, but he's saying, I will be there and I want you to join me. Apparently, uh, Titus isn't going to be there in Crete all that long. His ministry tenure in Crete is relatively short. And Paul had something new that he wanted and needed Titus to do to advance the mission. And we also read that Paul sent two other men, their names are Zenos and Apollos, on their way. Uh, He sent them to Crete, uh, stopping off there on their way to some other ministry destination. They most likely, many scholars think that these two men are probably the the couriers of this letter. They they brought this little book that we've been studying uh, from Paul's hands to Titus on the island of Crete, and the plan was to then go somewhere else and keep ministering and advancing the gospel. And Paul wanted Titus and the churches in Crete to help these two men get to their next ministry destination so that they could, in a prompt way, keep pushing the gospel forward and out. Again, the mission demands movement, the movement of ministry personnel. God strategically moves people. He moves pastors and and ministry leaders. He moves lay people and people. There are people right here sitting in these chairs today that at some point in time, God's going to move them out of these chairs somewhere else. And God is going to move people from other places. And he's going to move them here. God does that. He moves people around to advance the mission. What do we learn from the ministry movement that we see in these verses? I think a few things in particular, movement can actually be a healthy part of ministry life. And that point needs made, I think, because it contradicts so many of our ideals. I mean, do you actually feel that way? We don't want good people to leave. I mean, think about some of the people that as you look around this room, you really know and love and value and appreciate their ministry here. Do you want those people to leave? Ever? No. No, no, I want you to stay right here where I'm at, with me, at our church. You can't go anywhere. That's not okay. When God moves good people away from our church, I want to say, you know, God, what are you doing? Like, you're not supposed to do that. You can't do that. This isn't good. You know, if you actually want to move good people out of some other church and you want to bring them here, that would be awesome. But please don't take our good people away and move them somewhere else. Don't take good people away. We typically think of movement as bad, and oftentimes it is. But when God is in it, it is, no matter how painful, it's the best thing. 
Pastors, uh, just statistically, generally don't stay long at churches. The average tenure is somewhere between three and four years. In most instances, I would say that's probably not a good thing. I don't think we would look at that statistic and be like, wow, that's just a really helpful dynamic. And I would look at that statistic and I would walk away with this ideal called longevity. Longevity is so important, no matter which side of the pulpit you're on, it's just there's something to be said for people staying where they're at and being committed and just keeping their hand in the plow. I value and I have this ideal called longevity, and I would illustrate it something like this. Last year, I decided in the pandemic, you know, I'm going to be around my house a lot. I'm going to build a chicken coop. So I set out to build this 8 by 16 chicken coop. I finished, uh, I got it all framed up. I, I got the exterior all done. And now this year, I'm trying to get the inside done. And I'm at the point in my process right now where I'm just trying to board up the walls, get the walls sheeted. And then I want to frame up an interior wall inside of it. Well, it's, it's taking me forever. <laughs> it's just taking me forever to complete this task. And here's why. I keep working on it in little chunks. So, for example, let's say my kids go to bed at 7, 7.30. Maybe I talk with my wife, and then at, by 7.40, I get out, and I start working. After my kids go to bed, it probably takes me 20 minutes or more to get everything out because I've got everything stored in the coop. I need to get uh, the, the sheets, the OSB out. I need to get the insulation. I need to get all my tools. I need to get my sawhorses and my drill and my screws and everything. I need to get it all out, get it all set up. Okay, I'm ready to work. It's been 20 minutes, and I hit it hard for an hour, but I'm not like a super fat. This is not what I do every day. So, all right, I, I get it done. Maybe I get a couple sheets hung. I look at my clock. I go, man, it's 9 o'clock. Like, I, I probably just better start wrapping this up and get my extension cords and all my tools, everything put away. That takes me 20 minutes. And I'm walking in the house at 9.30-ish to get a shower and head to bed. Well, do the math on that. I spent 40 minutes getting things out and putting things away. And I was actively working on the project at hand for 60 minutes. That's not a good ratio. No wonder it takes time to get that task done. Well, what if on my day off or whatever, first thing in the morning, I get all my tools out one time. And I work for six, seven hours, whatever it takes to complete the job, and I put all my tools away one time. Well, that that makes logical sense, right? Like, if I want to get something done, that's how to be efficient. When ministry personnel, pastors, and church members constantly shuffle, it can feel like you're always getting your tools out and putting them away, and you're not actually, you're just, we're not getting that much done. And that reality should cause us, I think, to value ministry longevity. But a text like this one should remind us not to make idols out of those ideals. Because sometimes the mission really does demand movement. How would the gospel ever go from this place called Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth if God doesn't move his people there? Movement can be a healthy part of ministry life, and movement requires surrender and flexibility. Those two characteristics are required not just of the people moving, but also the people staying at any given location. I can just hear the people saying to Titus, right? They just all read this letter. Titus knows, the people knows Titus is about to be out of here and some new guy that nobody's ever met is about to come. <laughs> and I can just hear the people saying things like this to Titus. Titus, listen, man, like, you can't leave. 
We love you. you. You just got here. I don't know this Artemis guy. I don't know this other guy. But we know you. And we work together. Like things are going great. You can't leave. And we love you. And, and you're the one who first introduced us to grace. And even then after we were introduced to it, you helped us understand it. And, and you were the one, Titus, who helped us get rid of the false teaching in our churches and helped, helped uh, solidify what God has started here. And we don't know Artemis or, or Tychicus, and they might be great, but, but we don't really want one of them. We want you. And what Titus and these people had to know was movement requires surrender and flexibility. And further, think about all the unknowns in this situation. Uh, Paul doesn't even know which of these two guys he's going to send to replace Titus. The two men uh, that are being discussed, they don't know which one of them is going to be sent to Crete and which one of them is going to be sent elsewhere. Titus probably doesn't even know. After he's done at Crete and he hops on a ship, he heads to Nicopolis, where's he going? What's he going to do next? He probably doesn't know. And there's a point to be made here. When you live for the mission and you say, God, I'm all in. I'm here to advance the gospel and to, to advance the mission and to share the good news of Jesus. And I want to live my life on that mission. And I'm also here to help other people become like Jesus Christ. I just want to be a tool in your hand. When you live with that heartbeat, you know, God may reveal step one for you while keeping steps two to five veiled. And you need to be okay with that. I need to be okay with that. You have to be surrendered and flexible. Wherever God puts you, your church, your community, your workplace, God puts you there on mission for the time that you're there. And you need to be willing to stay. You need to be willing to go. You need to be willing to let other people stay. And you need to be willing to let other people go. There's a bigger, bigger picture. And I, I think if we get all caught up sometimes on the person that laughed or the, where, how God's shuffling people around and, and we're like, well, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, my best friend's just left church or whatever. Well, like, what about the mission? That's why we're here. We're a collective people advancing the mission where God has put us. Movement also means that, means that you need to make hay while the sun shines. Uh, when Zenos and Apollos arrived with this letter for Titus, my guess is, I mean, it's not that long of a book, right? He probably sits down with this scroll or this, uh, this piece of paper and he probably reads the whole letter through from start to finish in 10 minutes. And in the opening verses, you remember uh, of this letter, Paul said, this is why I left you in Crete. Okay, here's the task. Here's your ministry task. Here's what you need to get done. You need to appoint elders in every city and you need to deal with some of the false teaching problems that are going on on the island of Crete. Here's the work you need to get done. That's what he says at the beginning of the letter. And then he gets to the end of the book and Paul tells Titus, and before winter, you got to get out of there and make your way to Nicopolis. He's going to be leaving. He has a limited amount of time to get the job done. Listen, I think this is so important for you to grasp and for it to sit on the front of your mind. Every ministry role that God places you in, it has an end date. Every single one of them. You just don't always know when it is. Or how long your tenure in any given location will be. So make hay while the sun is shining. If you're sitting on your hands and you're not living on mission. That, like, there's a limited amount of time here. And you, don't, you may not know how long God has you in a certain place. What does God want you to get done? While you're here at Beaumont Baptist Church. 
What does God want you to get done? Well, your kids are still under your roof. And what does God want you to get done while you're still living at your current address and your current street and your current neighborhood, surrounded by the people that you're currently surrounded by? What does God want you to get done while you're still at the job that you're at today? What does God want you to do for the mission where he has you today? Well, do it. And get it done. Because there's an end date to your current situation. Live on mission, recognizing that that day could always come sooner than you ever even thought. For whatever reason. And also, as we speak about movement, movement is a reminder that the mission is bigger than any one man or woman. This divine shuffling of people is a reminder that the mission is not advanced by, nor does it hinge on any one man or any one woman. And it's a reminder, listen, don't become enamored with people. Live enamored with the mission. And don't play for the name that's on the back of your jersey. Play for what's on the front of it. And if I could just put it straight, I think some of what's going on here and the reminder that all of us need is actually that you are replaceable. And I'm replaceable. Every single one of us is replaceable. And that's a really good thing. Titus was great. I mean, I'd imagine these people love Titus. There's a reason Paul sent Titus. Because he was probably stand up in his character and he would get this job done. Titus is no doubt great and God used him, but he was replaceable. And the pillar type of people in our church, you know what they are? They're also replaceable. One of the cool things is actually when we devote ourselves to the mission and that's what we're enamored with and that's what we're focused on is magnifying Jesus Christ and living on mission. Do you know what happens when you live that way? We start to build and cultivate and develop replacements. The mission actually reproduces people spiritually. And the mission multiplies. And you want to be that type of person. You want to build replacements and strive to set the next person, the next man or woman up for success because someone's going to follow you. Movement will bother you when you see the mission is merely local, not global. For example, if all you see is your little island, if all you see is the little island of Crete, The movement of ministry personnel will bother you. But when you grasp the magnitude of the mission, then you can step back and see a fuller picture and you can actually embrace and celebrate movement. Just an example here from our church. Several months ago, um, one of our elders told me, and this was at a point, this was all pretty confidential, but he told me that he was actually looking at making a job change. I was like, oh, okay, it's fine, you know. And then he explained that he was actually pursuing local as well as not so local job postings. At which point I thought, hey, like, that's not cool. (laughs) Uh, No, no, like, I'm not going to say that, but that's definitely what I'm thinking. Like, if you want to take a job around here, great, but please don't move. And uh, even in, in my own heart, talking to God, thinking, oh, man, you know, God, please don't, please don't, please don't move them away. You know what? That's exactly what God did. And he'll probably do it again with somebody else that I love and that you love. 
Well, how should we view that sort of thing? How should you and I look at that? We go, God, what, what are you doing? Well, I think we should see it as God advancing the mission. God wants the gospel to go out and he wants to multiply uh, and see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and grow. Sometimes that means, well, I'm going to move this person over here. And you may not see the full picture, but I do. And actually, sometimes by moving one person from here to there, it even forces the people that were there in that location to step up and, and start serving in other ways and living on mission themselves. And it just keeps multiplying. And it's such a good thing. The mission demands movement. It's how the gospel goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And God's ultimately the one directing the traffic of ministry personnel. And so I want to ask you, are you okay with God doing that? Moving pastors or friends, or perhaps someday even you, away. Listen, you've got to give yourself fully to the mission. Second demand the mission makes, and we obviously spent the most time there in the first one. We'll move through these others much quicker. Second demand, the mission demands planning and decision-making. In verse 12, we see Paul planning and making decisions that he believes will advance the mission. At some point, he will decide which one of these guys is going to replace Titus. That decision needs made. He's already made a decision, he tells us, to spend the winter in Nicopolis. He's making strategic moves and decisions so that he can tell more people about Jesus and help more people become like Jesus. That's the type of thing that you and I need to do. The mission probably won't happen by accident. You, you think about this. Well, if I, yeah, I'm on mission, but I have like no plans to fulfill it. What can you intentionally do to plan for, for the mission and to plan for ministry? So that it's not some kind of afterthought. What plans and decisions can you make to be a disciple maker? You could go 80 years of life and never really help other people take next steps towards following Jesus. What intentional steps can you take to spiritually invest in someone? Can you make any plans or preparations to serve someone? There's something to the old statement that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. What's important doesn't get done when you don't make plans to do it. And maybe one of the ways I, I could illustrate this, I found in a totally different area of my own life, as our family grows and life gets seemingly crazier and crazier and wilder and wilder for us and our family, I found, I, I've been starting to realize that if I don't actually like plan holiday time with my family, there's actually a really good chance it's not going to happen. Um, and, and that's not actually because the time's not available. Time is not where the issue's at. It's because it was never set aside. It was never pre-thought, okay, my wife and I sit down. There's 12 months in front of us. If we don't kind of set aside, if we don't say, okay, this is the week we're going to do something or whatever, well, that week's going to come up. Nothing was ever planned. I'll probably end up just working uh, either. And even if I take time off, I'll probably just end up working at home. If I don't make some intentional plans to say, all right, this is when we're going to do whatever, and I'm going to set everything aside and focus on this, I might not do it. I think the mission and ministry are that way. You actually, time is not really the issue. And we talk about like, well, I don't, I'm just so busy. I don't have time for that. No, no, no. Time, time is not the problem, typically. You probably have time for the mission and for ministry. But if you don't intentionally plan for it, you just might not get around to it. 
The mission demands planning and decision-making. Maybe what would be really helpful for you is to even go home this afternoon and sit down with a pen and paper, maybe even sit down as a couple if you're married, and make some mission ministry plans. We only have one life. Life's but a fleeting breath as we sang about this morning. Okay, what can we do? How can we live on mission? What specific steps can we take? Who specifically am I going to target and try to invest in in a healthy way? Third demand the mission makes. The mission demands effort. Paul says something very instructive to Titus in verse 12. He tells Titus, Titus, do your best to come to me. Or as some translations put it, make every effort to come to me. And then in verse 13, he uses those same words again. Do your best. Now he's talking to Titus and all these Cretan churches. Do your best to speed Zenos and Apollos on their way. Do your best. Do your best. Do your best. Put your best foot forward in every ministry task. Give the mission your all. That type of language implies something, I think, extremely important. That type of language implies that there may be obstacles that make the mission difficult. If it's easy for Titus to wrap things up in in Crete and then find some boat to Nicopolis or wherever he's got to get next, maybe Paul doesn't need to tell him this. But apparently there's going to be some challenges. And these other two guys, um, Zenos and Apollos, getting them to their next ministry destination, maybe that's not going to be the easiest thing for these people to do. Paul says, do your best. Give the mission your all. Ministry will rarely be convenient. And if you sit around looking for ministry to be convenient, you will live your 70 or 80 years, and you, frankly, you will not have done much. Ministry will rarely be convenient. Don't let that stop you. Most things worth doing aren't easy. And just because you don't even enjoy certain areas of ministry or don't feel that it fits your natural interests and abilities doesn't mean that you're not the one that God wants to use to accomplish his mission. Do you see mission and ministry that needs to be done in the realms that God has put you in your home, in your church, in your community? Do you see people that need discipled and and, and ministry that needs done? The mission, remember, the mission's why you're breathing. God could have saved you and teleported you straight to heaven if you wanted, but he didn't. He put you here. You're breathing for the mission, for the glory of God. God says, do your best. Make every effort you can to make it happen. The mission demands effort. And I think it's important for all of us, and we probably need to ask ourselves some important questions just regularly. Uh, Am I being lazy? And am I neglecting the mission? Is the mission not that important to me? And am I easily deterred? Like how quickly and easily am I stopped? Fourth demand that the mission makes, the mission demands sacrifice. Very similar to this whole idea of effort. Look at verses 13 and 14. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Again, Paul wants Titus and the Cretans 
to do whatever it takes to get these two guys, Zenos and Apollos, to their next ministry location. They've stopped off in Crete, probably with this letter for Titus. And the people there need to help them get to the next place. These men would have needed food and housing while they stayed in Crete. They would have probably needed some financial support. They're probably living pretty day to day. They would have needed some financial support to get to the next place. And what does Paul tell Titus and the Cretans? See that they lack nothing. Get these guys whatever they need and get them out of, get them out of Crete. The mission needs advance. They've dropped off the letter. Get these guys whatever they need so the mission can just keep going somewhere else where you are not. God has uniquely equipped you to help other people in ministry so that the mission can be advanced. He's equipped you to partner with other people in mission and serve beside them. There may may be some things that you can't do in places that you can't go, but you can help someone else do it and you can help someone else get there. There there may be aspects of ministry right here in Beaumont Baptist Church that you're just not equipped quite, like you're just not the person. But some way, shape, or form, you could tease somebody else up. You could set somebody else up to get it done. A ministry is often like that. Even as a pastor, there's certain ministry that I, I, I can do. And there may even be people that I struggle to minister to or, or whatever, but maybe I can, I can set you up to succeed there. And that's the type of people that we want to be. We want to help other people succeed on the mission. And through the sacrifice of your resources, like your time and your energy and money and support, you can not only live on mission yourself, but you can actually multiply the mission by helping other people live on it. So that the work multiplies. According to verse 14, this was one one way that the Cretans could devote themselves to good works, a theme that showed up in this book again and again. They were meeting an urgent mission need. And according to verse 14, God wants you to be fruitful. You can live an unfruitful life where you just never really live on mission and you never make sacrifices for yourself or other people to live on mission. But when you and I do that, we live fruitful, spiritually fruitful lives. Making sacrifices to advance the mission is one of the ways we do that. I think about uh, just uh, our church collectively. I think, well, we're, we're all sitting here today, Beaumont, Alberta. It's great. I'm really glad we're here. I really love all of you and I look forward to, I can't wait to worship this morning with God's people, sing together, open up the word of God, read it, preach it, those things. And yet probably several hours ago, another church met all the way on the other side of the world in South Africa. That's really cool. My wife and I traveled, we support some missionaries there, Herb and Janet Hunter, and uh, my wife and I actually, a few years back, many of you remember, got to go visit them. And I remember thinking, this place is literally, directly, like, on the other side of the world. <laughs> I'm not sure we could be, like, any further apart from each other. And yet, how cool it is that every month, some of the money that, that you guys would be going to your jobs and earning, a portion of that money is going all the way to the other side of the world so that the mission can be advanced. And people that you will never meet will hear the gospel. And some people that you will never meet will trust Christ. And the mission will advance. Isn't that amazing? And that is what, uh, how Paul is encouraging Titus and these people. You probably don't even know Zenos and Apollos. But, but, but they are going to another ministry destination. Help get them there. 
Help them succeed. And the mission multiplies. The mission demands sacrifice. A little devotional nugget before we move to this, the fifth demand of this text. Uh, Zenus, we read there that he's a lawyer. And some people think that maybe he was uh, an expert in the Jewish law. But it's much more likely that he was actually an expert in either Roman or Greek law. And the reason I say that is uh, his name means gift of Zeus. I'm guessing that's a pretty clear indicator that he grew up in a completely total pagan home. I mean, if you name your kid gift of Zeus, are you a Jesus follower? Probably not. And, And yet we have this man who probably grew up in a completely pagan home, probably lived a completely pagan life, and then someone lived on mission, and the gospel came to him, and now Zenus the lawyer, despite whatever his past was, and it could have been quite ugly and messy and very sinful, is now on mission. And he's taking this good news to other people around the world. Isn't it amazing how God changes and repurposes people? And I I don't know all of your backgrounds and stories, and some of you may just, you look at your life and God saved you, and you go, man, like I just, I'm just disgusted with myself and my sin. and, And like, I just, I just still even feel like, how could God use me? Well, Just a little devotional nugget here. There's this guy named Zenus. Gift of Zeus. And God using him in an amazing, amazing way. Fifth demand of the mission. The mission demands prayer. Look at verse 15. As Paul wraps up, he says, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul concludes this letter to Titus and the Cretans by passing on his final greetings to them. And at the end of his greeting, he expresses a wish that he has for them. And what is that wish? He says, grace be with you all. You know, that's actually more than a wish. That's a prayer. Grace be with you all. Paul began this letter with grace in chapter 1, verse 4. And with that same theme, he concludes. And it came up right in the middle of the letter too. Paul knew that for the mission to be achieved and people to come to know Jesus and then to grow to look like Jesus, that they needed God's grace. All these people who are are moving around from one ministry destination to another, they need God's grace. These newly appointed elders on the island of Crete, they need God's grace. All those people there that had come to Christ on on the island of Crete, they needed God's grace to grow. And to keep advancing the mission. And Paul knew that is not something that I can personally give those people. I cannot give them the, 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 the divine enablement of God. I cannot, I mean, I can be used in this process, but there are some things that only God can do. And so he's giving it his all on the mission, and then he turns it around and he bows before God and says, God, give these people your grace. Help these people. And if you want to live on mission, you need to do that too. Pray for grace. Do you want to see the mission advance in your home, 
and in your church and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and you need to pray and you need to pray for grace. Pray that grace would appear to your neighbors like it appeared to you. Pray that grace would change your brothers and sisters in Christ and give you the strength to keep serving and keep ministering and keep investing in others despite the ups and downs of that. Pray for grace to sustain you and others on the mission. The mission demands prayer. Are you giving yourself fully to the mission? Are you willing to do what the mission requires? I want to conclude here, but as we do, I just want to say that for every person in this room, do you know what God wants for you? He wants to put you on on the mission. And in God's great plan, he's actually sending his people out right here in Boma and all over the world with a message. And it's a message of grace. It's a message of what God has done for you. It's a hard message to swallow on the one hand that all of us are sinners and all of us deserve the wrath of God and hell and eternal destruction and condemnation. But God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and to die for me and to pay the price for our sins and to satisfy God's wrath that we deserve for our sins. And the message of the mission is repent and believe. Confess your sin, turn from it, acknowledge you're a sinner that deserves God's wrath. And what Jesus did on the cross, that's everything. That's enough. Jesus died to save me. And if I repent of my sins, I cry out to God, asking him to forgive me of those sins. And I say, God, will you save me through the work of Christ? This is about grace, not my human effort, but about what Jesus did for me. God, will you save me through the work of Christ? He saves people. He cleanses them of their sin, makes them new creatures. And then do you know what he does? He mobilizes them. Go, keep the message going. Keep sharing the truth of the gospel and watch it multiply to the ends of the earth. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude?